0: Well, hello and welcome to Auditing the Global Capital Markets with Allison. Yes, we have another great show in store for you today. And what a amazing privilege and honor to report live again from Washington, DC, the nation's capital of the USA. So today, We're going to continue our discussion of some of the exciting developments in other parts of the world in understanding and auditing the global capital markets and all the facets of the money that is circulating around our globe, where it is going, what is it being used for, and how we can understand a little bit better uh, what we've been outlining throughout the course of this year, of 2023. We have been covering the $1,270 trillion that are circulating across the globe and where that money is being distributed. So welcome again to the show. I'm Allison Johnson. And again, you can reach me through the website of 2414 Morgan Development International or on my email of allison2414 at 2414morgan.com. And I'm across all the social media channels. You can find Alison Johnson through LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn, Twitter, and all of the other platforms such as YouTube, Vimeo, Snapchat, and TikTok. So we are always ready and available to continue this dialogue and look forward to it. So let's just dive in for today. We're very interested in looking at markets beyond the ones that we've been covering. In particular, we're going to start with Indonesia. Often uh, after the big growing economies in Asia of China and then India, we often hear about the next big markets, and the first is Indonesia. So we're going to dive into understanding much more about Indonesia and the country itself and the wealthy families that are the predominant uh, forces in Indonesia and also some interesting snippets about the country itself. We are of course aware that in, in a lot of uh, uh, different statistics that Indonesia has the largest Muslim population in the world, uh, many people um, are not aware of that. Um, it is also Um, the fifth largest uh, economy and country in the world. Uh, So it really is a tremendous uh, contributing economic powerhouse on our earth. And oftentimes we discuss Indonesia in the context of um, the growing power uh, and prowess of the Asian Pacific region. And Indonesia is definitely in the center of that. It's interesting that uh, right now, if you look at just as of 2023, um, buoyed by high global prices for Indonesia's commodity exports, the country's economy is expected to grow 5.3% in 2022, following a 3.7% uptick in 2021. That momentum, however, could be curbed by accelerated inflation The benchmark stock market index rose 8% since we last measured fortunes uh, in terms of the richest people in Indonesia, uh, which helped to lift the collective wealth of the 50 richest in the tracking of Forbes magazine as of December 7th, 2022. Uh, The wealthiest richest had a record $180 billion in collective wealth which was up from 162 billion in the year of 2021. I think just giving a little bit of context about information in terms of Indonesia so that you have some background because Indonesia is an archipelago of islands. Uh, It is the world's largest archipelagic state uh, and the 14th largest country by area at almost 2 million square kilometers or 735,358 square miles uh, with around 280 million people, uh, which is, you know, quite tremendous. Uh, As you know, the USA is about to hit 350 million people. So the Republic of Indonesia is an island country in Southeast Asia and Oceania between the Indian and Pacific Oceans. It consists of over 17,000 islands, including the large ones uh, where I have worked and lived of Sumatra, Java, Sulawesi, and parts of Borneo and New Guinea. Along with the 280 million people, uh, India, pardon me, Indonesia is the world's fourth most populous country and the most populous Muslim majority country as uh, we shared earlier. Java, the world's most populous island is home to more than half of the country's population. So Java is supporting over that 140 million people. As the world's third largest democracy. So that's very interesting. Obviously India is the largest democracy followed by the USA and then Indonesia. Indonesia is a presidential republic with an elected legislature. It has 38 provinces of which nine have special status. The country's capital is Jakarta, the world's second most populous urban area. Indonesia shares land borders with Papua New Guinea, East Timor, and the Eastern part of Malaysia, as well as maritime borders with Singapore, Vietnam, Thailand, the Philippines, Australia, Palau, and India. Despite its large population, which is quite substantive, it is interesting that it's very densely populated in terms of its regions. Uh, Indonesia has vast areas of wilderness that support one of the world's highest levels of biodiversity, uh, which we will find very interesting in discussing um, how the wealth is being used across Indonesia. Finally, just a little bit of uh, background uh, in terms of the history. The Indonesian archipelago has been a valuable region for trade since at least the seventh century when the Vijaya kingdom formed trade links with China. Indonesian history has been influenced by foreign powers drawn to its natural resources. Under Indian influence, Hindu and Buddhist kingdoms flourished from the early centuries CE. Muslim traders later brought Islam and European powers fought one another to monopolize trade in the spice islands of Maluku during the age of discovery. Following three and a half centuries of Dutch colonialism, which was really later in the 1800s, Indonesia uh, secured its independence after World War II. So really uh, like other parts of the world, Indonesia uh, was colonized much like the Americas after 1492. And then all the rest of the other continents started having European colonialism, 15 and 1600s. And in the case of Indonesia's history, uh, there has been since you know turbulent, uh, challenging times you know, posed by everything from natural disasters, corruption, separatism, um, a challenging democratization process, and of course, periods of rapid economic change. So uh, just looking at Indonesia, it consists of very, uh, of thousands of distinct, you know, native ethnic and hundreds of linguistic groups. Of uh, uh, Javanese is the largest. Uh, so uh, the national language is a result of of Basa Indonesia, which is the Java language, uh, and the cultural diversity, the religious pluralism, um, even with a a Muslim majority population, along with the history of colonialism, um, has also created the rebellious nature uh, across the archipelago. The economy of Indonesia is the world's 16th largest by nominal gross domestic product and the seventh largest by power purchasing parity. It is a regional power and is considered a middle power in global affairs. Uh, the country is a member of several multilateral organizations, including the United Nations, World Trade Organization, G20, and a founding member of the Non-Aligned Movement, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, East Asia Summit, the DH, and the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. So just a bit of background about Indonesia um, before we dive in to understanding a little bit about the 1% uh, that are driving the economic and financial uh, power in Indonesia. So uh, Forbes magazine obviously comes up with its 100 richest Indonesians. uh, And we're going to dive in a little bit with those top families so that we can get a bit of an overview, but then we wanna dive deeper into uh, the overall industries and understanding uh, where they're concentrated. So according to Forbes magazine, uh, with their staff writers, Jane Ho and Nazneen Karmali, who write from Asia based in Singapore, uh, they uh, obviously were tracking this at the end of December, 2022 to understand all of the power of the Indonesian wealth. So as we mentioned, uh, we'll start with the top, you know, couple dozen of the tycoons. So there are a total of 22 tycoons that saw their net worth increase in the year of 2022, including the top three. Brothers R. Budi and Michael Hartono remained at number one. With a fortune of 47.7 billion dollars, up 5.1 billion from a year ago, that was partly due to the November IPO of their global digital Niaga, the parent of e-commerce giant BliBli, which raised 8 trillion rupees, which is their national currency, the rupee or rupaya, as spelled R-U-P-I-A-H. Uh, so they raised over $510 million in uh, the November IPO of their global digital Niagara Group, which is the parent of the e-commerce giant Blee Blee. And what was this country's second largest IPO uh, in the year of 2022, last year? Higher coal prices amid the global energy crisis propelled Lo Tuck Kwong to second place, with a nearly five-fold jump in his wealth to $12.1 billion. Soaring shares of his buy-on resources, the country's fourth-largest coal miner, made him this year's biggest gainer in both percentage and dollar terms. The jajai family of the Sinar Moss conglomerate slipped to number three, but a recovery in the group's paper business helped to boost their fortune by one5 billion to then top at number three, $10.8 billion in national wealth for Widjaja family of the Sinar Mas conglomerate at number three. An expansion overdrive at his convenience store Alpha Mart made Joko Susanto, another big gainer this year, after more than doubling his fortune, to $4.1 billion. Susanto features in the top 10 for the first time. Overall, among the gainers, half a dozen were up by more than $1 billion. There are a total of $46 billion plus fortunes up from 41 last year. Banking veteran Jerry Ng Who was last year's biggest gainer in percentage terms? Saw his net worth drop the most in both percentage, 63%, and dollar terms, $2 billion in a drop. Shares of his bank, Jago, tumbled from their peak as investors perceived the lender to be overvalued. Higher cigarette taxes dragged down the wealth of tobacco mogul, Susilo. Wono with JoJo by $1.3 billion to $3.5 billion in total wealth. All of the six new faces this year are billionaires, with the coal industry producing three. Dewi Kam, whose 10% stake in buy-on resources makes her the richest newcomer with $2 billion. Gan Jo Young, whose Bara Multi Group was founded by her late husband, Atansius Tosin Surhaya, and Eddie Suggianto, who took his coal miner Prima Andalan Mandiri public in 2021. Last year's IPO was uh, last year's IPO of dairy and processed food supplier Sisarua Mountain Dairy, better known as Simori, secured. Babang sutantio a debut spot with 1.85 billion dollars. So you can see, doing things uh, to uh, expand your wealth through the IPO process uh, clearly jumped the overall net worth. The minimum net worth this year was 885 million, up from 695 million in 2021 six from last year dropped off. So that gives you a sense of the Indonesian uh, growing class of 1%. But let's dive in to understand a few more of the members. Uh, There is a lot of talk um, about the second richest person uh, simply because it's interesting that he is in coal. So obviously uh, as we study and document the power of the 1% in every market and looking what industries they predominantly are uh, working in, you can see that uh, some of the fossil fuel industries and the more polluting industries clearly have uh, a dominant uh, presence uh, within the richest uh, people in, in each market. Uh, So in Indonesia, that's no uh, exception. So uh, we can see uh, in diving in more for Indonesia, uh, that definitely uh, if you continue to see Forbes uh, contributor, Rainer Michael Priest, he has a featured article on Indonesia wealth creation and how it powered up in 2022. And in his article, he sees that amid intensifying geopolitical tensions, Indonesia is getting a fresh look from the global investment community. International funds have helped make the Jakarta stock market among Asia's top performers this year. And while listing activity has been muted in 2022 overall, Indonesia leads its Southeast Asian peers by deal count as of mid-November. The rupiah, the currency of Indonesia, also has held up well against the U.S. dollar. Robust demand for Indonesia's coal underpinned exports, and with strong domestic consumption, Southeast Asia's largest economy is set to expand by 5.3% this year. The country's much-touted transition to renewable energy is expected to drive future growth, Paced by Indonesian President Joko Widodo's climate goal to reach net zero emissions by 2050. To help Indonesia reduce its reliance on coal, a group of governments and lenders announced $20 billion to support the shift at the G20 summit, which Widodo hosted in Bali in November, as you might remember, of 2022. High inflation, however, is also a major worry, and consumer prices are running at a multi-year high. If we look at the Jakarta Composite Index, it is among Asia's top performers for this year of 2022. Laos as a country actually had the biggest percentage change year-to-date of 42% but it was called, it was followed by India with 6.73% and Indonesia's Jakarta composite index up by 6.65%. And then uh, the other indices of India, India has over five indices that saw major growth in 2022, uh, followed by Singapore, which was up 4.43% and China only up in the Shanghai shares up by 1.49%. So a lot of growth in Asia, Indonesia being a a leader. And GDP growth is expected to accelerate as well from the 2022 reports. They're forecasting uh, that Indonesia will grow uh, 5.3% for 2022. And then this year of 2023, 4.9% and they're expecting a growth of up to 5% for 2024. So a lot of growth uh, for Indonesia, which is why uh, the power of these Indonesian uh, families is really notable. So just to round out the list that we were just reviewing to uh, complete the Forbes 100 list, I will just share a few other top families their net worth, and some of the industries that we're seeing. So we've already gone through some of the top three, uh, with most of them being in diversified industries. Uh, But diving in, we already noted that the second largest is the coal billionaire, Lo Tuck Huang, who owns the coal mines. He is in energy primarily, and his net worth $12.1 $12.1 billion. And if we dive a little bit more into uh, what's happening with his fortune, it's interesting because it's a bit serendipitous for billionaire Lo Kuang, the founder and president director of Indonesia's fourth biggest coal producer, Bayan Resources. The global market has been very strong as prices soared following Russia's February invasion of Ukraine in 2022. Also, ample rains have meant that barges needed to carry Bayan's coal down the Sinir River in Borneo to its port at Balikpapan, uh, which have operated smoothly, unlike earlier years when drought disrupted their shipments and hurt the bottom line. For the first nine months of 2022, buy had more revenue, $3.3 billion, and profit of 1.7 billion, uh, more than for all of 2021. And last year already had delivered surging results with revenue more than doubling and profit almost quadrupling. Bayon's share price has increased fivefold since the beginning of 2021 and tripled the year of 2022. Uh, In December, they did a one to 10 stock split. The share surge helped the 74-year-old Lo, the CEO, who owns a majority stake of Bayon to jump to number two on Indonesia's 50 Richest Indonesians list of Forbes magazine. From 18th, where he was with his wealth shooting up, 4.7 times to $12.1 billion. The government of Indonesia, like many others, is trying to reduce how much the country's power is generated by coal. And during the Indonesia hosted G20 summit in November, 2022, there was an announcement of a program under which a group of developed countries and private banks would provide $20 billion to help Indonesia cut coal usage, and develop more renewable energy sources. So Bayon's business boomed in the last few years uh, with the net profit up as well as the net revenues. So it doesn't worry low. He's comfortable with Bayon's prospects in an industry that's under attack, but pivotal for the country. In his message in Bayon's 2021 annual report, Lowe said, quote, whilst we acknowledge that coal is considered a sunset industry, our cost base, which is amongst the lowest in the world, and our low emissions coal, which is ranked in the lowest third in terms of CO2 equivalent output, will ensure that we will be amongst the last companies left standing. Bion's chief financial officer, Alastair McLeod, when asked about the 20 billion financing program, says it is a very small portion of the amount needed to transition Indonesia away from coal. And he asserted that coal will be part of the energy mix in developing countries for many years to come. So I just wanna pause before continuing to make a very important note of that. The second richest person in Indonesia, the CFO making it clear, prioritization of moving from fossil fuels is not there as a fossil fuel industry leader and contributor to the uh, problem of climate change. So it's part of what we've been discussing the last six months, that if you don't have within the wealthy 1%, an acknowledgement and a recognition that the transition away from fossil fuels has to be taken on by the 1%, and the major financial and economic powers of each country that not much is gonna happen. So this is made clear with this declaration from the second richest person in Indonesia from the coal industry. Continuing with the Forbes article, from the scene at Lowe's operations space at Tabang in East Kalimantan, through which 85% of company production moves, coal is far from a sunset industry. Sabang is a beehive of activity, double-trailer hauling trucks, each bigger than an adult blue whale, carry 230 tons of coal, 69 kilometers from the mines to Senyir port around the clock, except for two days a year, Indonesia Independence Day, and Aid al-Fitr, the Muslim national holiday. There are currently 150 trucks in the circuit, and that number will double. To keep up with the company's target to increase production to 60 million tons annually in 2026. Coal prices soared following Russia's February invasion of Ukraine, um, unbelievably up uh, to 400 uh, with the Newcastle coal futures up, the Indonesian coal index up, so really, Bayon must get its black gold to both domestic cu- customers. There are obligations to the country's power utility company and international ones. In the first nine months of 2022, a quarter of Bayon's coal went to the Indonesian market, while major international buyers included the Philippines, South Korea, India, Bangladesh, and Malaysia. And again, Indonesia at 30%, South Korea at 15%, India at 9%, Bangladesh at 7%, and Malaysia at 5%. It's hard to overstate the importance of coal for Indonesia. It is the world's largest exporter of thermal coal, which is expected to bring in more than $91 billion this year. And it's still the biggest source of power at home, accounting for 38% of generated energy in 2021 ahead of petroleum and natural gas with renewable energy at just 12%. There's a lot of coal in the ground. The energy ministry has forecast that with an average annual domestic production of 600 million tons, Indonesia's existing coal reserves could last more than 60 years. So it's hard to overstate the importance of coal for Indonesia. It is the world's largest exporter of thermal coal. So clearly important to understand uh, where they sit in the whole issue of diversification away from fossil fuels. The CEO, Lo, who's seen a lot of ups and downs over the 25 years in what he calls a, quote, tough business, Unquote, was born in Singapore. His father, who migrated to Singapore from Guangzhou in Southern China when he was three years old, started a civil construction firm, Sum Chung. When Lo was 14, he started helping his father on building projects after school. Sum Chung, the civil construction firm, eventually became a successful firm in Singapore and Malaysia. But rather than planning to take it over, Lowe wanted to go out on his own in a bigger place and saw an opportunity in Indonesia, where at that time, few people from Singapore did business. In 1973, at age 25, he secured his first project doing the groundwork for an ice cream factory in Ancol, on Jakarta's coast. Lowe says, He was the first contractor in Indonesia to use diesel hammers for for piling, which speeded up the work. While carrying out the job, Lo got a big break. He says he was, quote, very lucky, unquote, to meet Lim Siaoyong, founder of the Salim Group and a friend of the late President Suharto of Indonesia. Lim, who later became Indonesia's biggest and richest businessman, was an owner of the Bogasari flour mill near the ice cream factory. He saw us carrying the piles, stopped us and talked to me. I told him I couldn't speak Bahasa Indonesia and he gave me his name card, spoke to me in Mandarin and asked me to see him later, says Lo. This led to Lo working with Lim who died in 2012 and his youngest son, Anthony, who's number five on the Indonesia's 50 richest list. Both helped us a lot, Lo says. See how funny the world is. By both of them being of Chinese ancestry, they began to work together in Indonesia. Lo also teamed with Jaya Steel, a subsidiary of Peng Bangunan Jaya, a joint venture between Jakarta's provincial government and local entrepreneurs, including the late property tycoon Siputra, to establish Jaya Sumpiles Indonesia. The initial ownership was 50 50. Then Lowe took full control. Under his full control, Lowe had work, but wanted a more stable revenue stream than the civil construction business was providing. The end of 1987, Lo decided to enter the coal contractor business. At the time, Indonesia's coal industry was still in its infancy. Jaya Sumpiles worked with several miners for overburden removal, mining, and hauling. Overburden is the material that must be removed before mining can start. During the 1990s, domestic production rocketed from 4.4 million tons to 80.9 million tons aided by pro-minor policies that boosted investment. In November 1997, after a decade of sector experience and with needed Indonesian citizenship in hand, he got it in 1992, Lo bought his first concession, Gunung Bayan Pratamakol in East Kalimantan. Production started in 1998, which was a dismal time to start a business in Indonesia amid the Asian financial crisis and political turmoil that included riots in Jakarta and Suharto getting pushed out of power. With its first shipment, the miner lost $3 per ton as prices plumped and slumped. Quote, our journey wasn't easy from the start. People were laughing at us for buying the mine. They said we are Gila, which is Indonesian for crazy. (laughs) Quote, unquote, Low recalls. There have been long, serious logistic, logistical obstacles to mining in coal-rich East Kalimantan, compared to another coal mine, Multi Harapan, Utama. Lowe's first concession was twice as far from the port at Balikpapan, and its barges had to take a four-day journey <laughs> downstream. It also takes four days to journey downstream from Tabang, Bayan's current main producer, to Papan. For people to get to Tabang from Papan entails a nearly two hour helicopter ride or a full day by river and roads. Despite, obstacle, despite obstacles, Low played a hunch East Kalimantan coal would prove profitable and expanded, acquiring concessions and the majority stake in Dermaga, Pratama, the operator of Papan Coal Terminal, one of the largest in the country, which currently has a stockpile capacity of 1.5 million tons or 24 million tons annually and can be extended. In 2004, low consolidated assets and established Bayan Resources, named after a local district. Four years later, after becoming Indonesia's eighth largest producer, Bayon listed shares on the Indonesian Stock Exchange. The IPO proceeds proceeds went to develop concessions, including the ones in Tabang, which now consists of 12 mining license permits covering 34,715 hectares, nearly half the size of Singapore. The area contains low ash, low sulfur, sub-bituminous coal with a calorific value that's most suitable for coal-powered power plants, yet it is relatively less polluting than other types of coal. Well, that's notable, side note there. Bayon puts Tabong's huge coal deposit at nearly 2 billion tons, which could extend the mine's life more than 30 years. To cope with the coal price cycle and reduce nature's seasonal risks, the company has been implementing a long-term efficiency plan to Bong's low stripping ratio of 2.9, meaning 2.9 cubic meters of rock and soil have to be removed to access a ton of coal. And the 69 kilometer asphalted private road for hauling coal to senior port has significantly lowered bionts production costs and improved margins as has use of double trailers to save fuel. In the first nine months of this year, the company's net profit margin was 51% outperforming others as coal prices soared. For all of 2021, the margin was 44%. Performance depends in part on the level of the senior River, which is sometimes too low to operate coal-laden barges. In 2016, 2018, and 2019, due to insufficient draft for the barges. Some buy on deliveries were delayed, generating over 3.6 million in penalty fees to clients. Lowe even made a move to sell his shares, but canceled the plan as the bids were too low. Interested parties would have made a fortune now if they bought the company, Lowe says. To tap the potential of Tobang mi- Mines, M- buy-in is spending $400 million on new infrastructure. In 2019, it began constructing a 101-kilometer private hauling road connecting Tabang and a new port in Muara Pahu on East Kalamatan's largest river, the Mahakam. The Mahakam doesn't have dry season draft issues and barges can sail at night. The company is installing three swing barge loaders at the new port for a faster coal loading parallel to the private hauling road. Bayon is also building a road for public use, helping provide access to the remote area. The whole project targeted to ramp up production to 60 million tons in 2026 is expected to be completed by the end of 2023 this year. So very timely uh, in terms of understanding what they're doing. Now this is all on the island of uh, Bayon, Um, you know, outbound um, from Borneo. So it's on the island of Borneo, pardon me. And, uh, you know, Bayan is is building this 101 kilometer private hauling road um, from Tabang to the Newport and Murara, um, Bahu on East Kalimantan's largest river uh, to then get it across to all of their major markets because from there, they can send it to their main export places like the Philippines, South Korea, India, Bangladesh and Malaysia. We want to be the biggest and best in Indonesia, says the CFO, McLeod. At present, the most profitable in the country is rival coal company, Adaro Energy. They generated 1.3 billion for the first six months and we generated 1 billion in net profit, but they did 27.5 million tons of sales, while we only did 17 million tons, he says. When Bayern can match the volume, he claims, we will be the most profitable coal company in Indonesia. Alberto Miglucci, CEO and founder of Singapore-based Petra Commodities, Sees a good outlook for Indonesian coal and Bayan. In the medium term, he expects demand to increase from China as it recovers from the pandemic and India for the kind of low ash coal that fits Bayan's output. He notes the two countries, which account for two thirds of coal consumption, abstain at the 2021 United Nations Climate Change Conference commitment to stop issuing permits for coal powered power plants. Quote, Bayon has been performing very well. They have solid operations with favorable geological conditions that will enable them to ramp up production and capitalize on the current market opportunity. Miglu, she says, Bayon is sitting on a huge cash pile. The company has over $1.3 billion of cash and almost 280 million in standby loans and zero debts after early repayment of $400 million in bonds last year. With it, Migluci thinks the company is better prepared to face tougher financing situations affecting the coal industry nowadays. With the cash, Bayon also has the opportunity to expand to minerals that relate to the green energy and EV industries. Mick conser- confirms the company is looking to diversify. Lowe, who has a small renewable energy business, says he'll stay focused on coal. Overlooking a new 581-meter bridge that will soon be busy with trucks moving coal 363 days a year. He indicates that belief that Bayan will be bustling for a long time. This bridge could last for more than 40 years, Abimi Lowe says. <laughs> it's interesting. It's a miner's menagerie. Lowe's Bayan Resources has built much infrastructure in East Kalimantan to dig out and transport millions of tons of coal. Currently under construction as a personal expenditure is a rather different kind of structure and air conditioned space where 12 to 16 penguins can live. Quote, they'll be here next year, unquote, he says. It's part of a private zoo owned by Lowe that he initiated in the late 1990s When he noticed that there were many wild animals who lost their habitats from mining and plantation cultivation and consequently roamed to villages near his mines. See, this is exactly what uh, we need to cover uh, as we move forward into the program and the programming in the next weeks. You know, all of these projects, all of this development that we're tracking, you know, that has this massive growth. In the global capital markets and the growing of the trillions of dollars that are circulating, investing in these destructive industries like energy and the fossil fuels destroys the habitat, the ecosystems, the forests, and all of the landmass where the other beings are living, the other types of species, uh, and also, of course, destroying all the human habitat as well. Uh, in the process. But back to Lo, the second richest billionaire in Indonesia, Lowe decided to obtain conservation permits and scale it up to what it is now. The penguins will join more than 200 species of birds and animals, mostly birds, in Lowe's zoo. Surrounding the aviary, which covers two hectares, are 32 meter high nets. Quote, I love animals, unquote, says Lowe during a morning walk in the Avery as a pair of gray crown cranes walk nearby. It includes cockatoos, flamingos, ibises, peacocks, and hornbills, which roam around. Only the carnivores, like eagles, are placed in separate enclosures. Besides the birds, The zoo also has an an assortment of tigers, deer, crocodiles, giant tortoises, alpacas, and horses, among others, with Lowe regularly adding to the ranks. Beyond professionals who manage the zoo, Lowe also hires people living in the area. Well, that's good, providing some employment. At present, 110 people work in the zoo, on which Lowe spends more than 20 billion rupiah or $1.3 million annually from his pocket. The zoo, which was open to the public at no charge, used to be visited by thousands every year. But COVID-19 forced its closure to the public and it has yet to reopen since Bayan maintains strict protocols for people coming in and out of the mines. Lowe says he intends to give animals breaded his facility to other zoos and conservation projects. When he visits the coal mines once or twice a month from Jakarta, he never misses checking on his animals, taking pictures and videos, which he often shares to his phone contacts. In addition to animals, Lo also planted many varieties of plants and trees in the area in the Tabang Concession, 180 kilometers northwest of Samarinda, the capital of East Kalimantan. A very interesting article from Ardiyan Wibisono, who is a contributing editor for Forbes Asia, and is based in Jakarta, Indonesia. So, just giving you an overview of the second richest person, and I wanted to dive into him today and the overall picture uh, as we go back to the fifty richest Indonesians as of 2022 to give a sense of how in all of the world the extent to which the countries that are most heavily invested in fossil fuels and are contributing to climate change have within the power elite and the one percent that are the wealthiest in the economy control of these fossil fuel industries and other polluting industries and are the richest people in the country and have no commitment to diversification or movement away into green energy. As the article said, he has a very small green energy firm, you know. clearly uh, with $12.1 billion of his net worth coming from coal, uh, his interest in diversifying into green energy is probably pretty low. So we wanna continue to dive into every market where we're finding this phenomenon to understand You know, not just for the European Union and, of course, North America that dominate the pollution and contamination of the planet Earth through the fossil fuel industries, but also the other economies. So going back into Indonesia and diving into the next pieces before we have to conclude today, if you look at the next family, it is the Sri Prakash Lohia family with a net worth of $7.7 billion dollars mainly in manufacturing. Uh, the next is the fifth largest family, Anthony, Salim and family, which we just spoke about because they helped Lo Tuck Kwong and his empire to be built uh, by the patriarch father, uh, opening up an opportunity for Lo Tuck Kwong and his work in civil construction. And Anthony, Salim and family now are at $7.5 billion in total net worth, um, also from a diversified slew of different industries. Next we have Chai Rul Tanjung uh, also in a diversified set of things at $5.2 billion. Uh, Prajogo Pangetsu also at $5.1 billion in a diversified set of industries. We then can see the next families. We then have the family of Chirul Tanjung, also at, uh, we went over, 5.2 billion diversified. Rajogo Pangetsu at 5.1 billion diversified. And the next family is the eighth largest family, richest family, uh, Boenjamin Setiawan and family at $4.8 billion uh, in health care. And then Tahir and family at, 4.2 billion uh, in a diversified area. Uh, Joko Susanto, uh, 4.1 billion in fashion and retail. The Bakhtiar, Kareem and family at 4 billion in manufacturing. Uh, number 12 is Jogi, Hendra, Atmaja and family at 3.95 billion. Food and beverage, Wijono, Hermanto, Tanoko and family. And in diversified industries at 3.65 billion. The 14th richest is Susilo Ono Ujojo in and family at 3.5 billion in manufacturing. Garibaldi Tohir and family at 3.45 billion. Again, in energy, you know, probably in the fossil fuel industries. Number 16, Theodore Rachmat uh, in diversified industries at 3.3 billion. Martua Sitoris uh, in also in manufacturing at 3.1 billion. And then Sukanto Tanoto uh, in diversified uh, industries at 2.9 billion and then in media and entertainment you have at 2.4 billion uh, the num- the 19th richest family at Ed, uh, uh, Eddie Kusnadi Sariat Maja and family and then in manufacturing 2.2 uh, billion for Ciliandra Fangiono and family Uh, The 21st richest family dare we come at $2 billion in energy. Uh, Also probably in the fossil fuels industry, number 22, Peter Sondak at $1.9 billion in finance and investments. And the uh, 23rd richest family, um, Otto Toto Sugiri uh, at $1.88 billion uh, in uh, technology. And uh, the 24th richest family um, we have as Bambang Sutantio at 1.85 billion in food and beverage. Uh, and then the 25th richest, uh, Edwin Sordajaya and family at 1.8 billion uh, in energy. Oh my God. So just ending the list, we have Putera Samporna and family which are in the finance and investments industries at 1.7 billion. The Hamamami family in construction and engineering at 1.6 billion. The Arini and Subianto family uh, in metals and mining at 1.5 billion. The Mokhtar, Riyadi and family at 1.45 billion uh, in a diversified industry. And then for healthcare uh, industry, we have Irwan, Hidayat and family at $1.35 billion. So those are the top 30 richest families in Indonesia. You can obviously go to the Forbes list to get the full list of 50 richest families in Indonesia. And uh, there is quite uh, an interesting mix of families, some from China, some from India, and then um, obviously many from Indonesia itself. So interesting backgrounds and interesting information, uh, and we would like to, uh, you know, sort of round out the discussion today, um, looking a little bit more um, into information about Indonesia that could help us understand a little bit about what has happened uh, with the global capital markets as it relates to Indonesia and the, you know, overall economic. Uh, focus um, because clearly it is one of the most important countries in terms of the environmental issues. Uh, Indonesia's large and growing population and rapid industrialization present serious environmental issues. They are often given a lower priority due to high poverty levels and weak under-resourced governance. Problems include the destruction of peatlands, large-scale illegal deforestation, causing extensive haze across parts of Southeast Asia, over-exploitation of marine resources, air pollution, garbage management, and reliable water and wastewater services. All of these issues contribute to Indonesia's low-ranking number of 116 out of 180 countries that are tracked as of the 2020 Environmental Performance Index. The report also indicates that Indonesia's performance is generally below average in both regional and global contexts. And just diving in because we care so much about the environment, understanding where they stand. Indonesia has one of the world's fastest deforestation rates. In 2020, forests covered approximately 49.1% of the country's land area, down from 87% in 1950. Since the 1970s, log production, various plantations, and agriculture have been responsible for much of the deforestation in Indonesia. Most recently, it has been driven by the palm oil industry, which has been criticized for its environmental impact and displacement of local communities. The situation has made Indonesia the world's largest forest-based emitter of greenhouse gases. It also threatens the survival of indigenous and endemic species. The International Union for Conservation of Nature, the IUCN, identified 140 species of mammals as threatened and 15 as critically endangered including the Bali mina, the Sumatran orangutan, and the Javan rhinoceros. So really heavy implications to the problems with the deforestation across Indonesia, which we did not dive into as much when we were looking at Latin America in the case of Brazil. But we know uh, we can definitely turn back to that in subsequent programs. um, Because in each market that we're studying, we know that as the wealthy consolidate the wealth the one percent continue to grow in their power economic financial uh, overall dominance that the other side of that is the destruction of the planet earth all its natural resources and all living things residing here on the planet so um, these are all things that we want to cover as we audit the global capital markets we look at where the money's going, what it's being spent on and how it's being generated and whether it's being used for the highest good of humanity as well as the highest good of all other living things here on the globe. So uh, when we look overall at the economy, uh, we'll just cover just a little bit to to round out our discussions on on Indonesia. Indonesia has a mixed economy in which the private sector and government play vital roles. As the only G20 member state in Southeast Asia, the country has the largest economy in the region and is classified as a newly industrialized country. For a 2023 estimate, it is the world's sixth largest economy by nominal GDP and seventh in terms of GDP at PPP, or or, purchase power parity. Estimated to be $1.392 trillion and $4.398 trillion, respectively, in terms of the GDP is the seventh at $1.392 trillion. But when you do purchase power parity, it jumps to $4.938 trillion for PPP in Indonesia. Per capita GDP in PPP is only $15,855, while nominal per capita GDP is only $5,016. Services are the economy's largest sector and account for 43.4% of GDP uh, as of 2018, followed by industry at 39.7% and agriculture at 12.8%. Since 2009, It has employed more people than other sectors, accounting for 47.7% of the total labor force, followed by agriculture 30.2% and industry at 21.9%. Over time, the structure of the economy has changed considerably, Historically, it has has been weighted heavily towards agriculture, reflecting both its stage of economic development and government policies in the 1950s and 1960s to promote agricultural self-sufficiency. A gradual process of industrialization and urbanization began in the late 1960s and accelerated in the 1980s as falling oil prices saw the government focus on diversifying away from oil exports and towards manufactured exports. This development continued throughout the 1980s and into the next decade, despite the 1990 oil shock, which, uh, during which the GDP rose at an average rate of 7.1%. As a result, the official poverty rate fell from 60% to 15%. Trade barriers reduction from the mid 1980s made the economy more globally integrated. The growth ended with the 1997 Asian financial crisis that severely impacted the economy during a 13.1% real GDP contraction in 1998 and a 78% inflation. The economy reached its low point in mid-1999 with only 0.8% real GDP growth. Relatively steady inflation and an increase in GDP deflator and consumer price index have contributed to strong economic growth in recent years. From 2007 to 2019, annual growth accelerated to between four and 6% due to improvements in the banking sector and domestic consumption, helping Indonesia weather the 2008 to 2009 Great Recession, and regain in 2011 the investment-grade rating it had lost in 1997. As of 2019, 9.41% of the population lived below the poverty line, and the official open unemployment rate was 5.28%. During the first year of the global COVID-19 pandemic, the economy suffered its first recession since the 1997 crisis, but recovered in the following year. Indonesia has abundant natural resources. Its primary industries are fishing, petroleum, timber, paper products, cotton, cloth, tourism, petroleum mining, natural gas, bauxite, coal, and tin. Its main agricultural products are rice, coconuts, soybeans, bananas, coffee, tea, palm, rubber, and sugar cane. These commodities make up a large portion of the country's exports, with palm oil and coal briquettes as the leading export commodities. In addition to refined and crude petroleum as the primary imports, telephones, vehicle parts, and wheat cover the wheat cover the major uh, majority of additional imports. Interesting. So they're importing refined and crude petroleum as the primary imports, as well as telephones, vehicle parts, and wheat. China, the USA, Japan, Singapore, India, Malaysia, South Korea, and Thailand are Indonesia's principal export markets and import partners. Very powerful discussion of Indonesia today and understanding the full gamut of what's happening in the Indonesian market. So really hope that this was very informative and educational. and diversifying our overall approach and perspective about what's happening in Indonesia and understanding the 1% uh, and the richest 50 families uh, and what's driving the wealth there um, as one of the largest economies on the globe. And so we'll continue the discussion with a a population of uh, over uh, 280 million people Clearly, this is the kind of information that we need to dive into more deeply. So thank you again for joining Auditing the Global Capital Markets with Allison, And following up with outreach to our social media channels or the website www.2414mdinternational.com Or feel free to email me at Allison at 2414morgan.com. And I am Allison Johnson, A with double L I S O N Johnson. And you can feel free to find me on all the social media channels. And I'll look forward to continuing the dialogue, continuing to talk about all of the opportunities we have to go diving into deeper information on auditing the global capital markets to understand where the money's going, what it is being used for, and how we can navigate to make this planet Earth a more sustainable and feasible future for all living things on this Earth. So thanks for joining me. And until next time, take care, be well, and all the best. Many blessings to each and every one of you. Thanks for joining me. Cheers.